Welcome, everybody. You are watching School Psych Podcast. We're so happy to have you here tonight. I'm especially excited for this episode. Um, uh, our guest uh, works in my county, so I know her personally, and she's just awesome and phenomenal and does all sorts of cool PD things for us and activities. So really happy to uh, be learning from her again today. Um, and anyways, I'm Rachel. I'm a school psychologist in Maryland. I'm going to pass it over to Rebecca, who's going to tell everybody how to participate tonight and a little bit about um, our sponsorship for this episode. Rebecca? Hi, everybody. Welcome. So we are so excited to have you here. And if you are watching live on YouTube, please feel free to log into your YouTube account and comment right alongside the video. We look forward to your questions and comments, thoughts and experiences. And also, if you are uh, feeling like shy or you want to ask a question more anonymously, you can message on either of the Facebook pages, School Psych, Your School Psychologist, or the School Psych Podcast page. Or on Twitter, you can tweet using the hashtag Psych Podcast, and I'll be looking for notifications. We really love our interactive feature of our podcast, so I really always try to strongly encourage you to participate. Anything that you share, just where you're watching from or what you're up to these days in the school psychology world is really interesting and important to us. So we'd love to hear from you. I'd also like to um, tell you a little bit about our sponsor as we talk about our wonderful topic tonight, positive psychology. It's important to note that as a school psychologist, having a strong support system in your career is instrumental in finding placements and opportunities that fit your goals. That is why we are proud to partner with Advanced School Staffing, the industry leader for staffing school psychologists in districts nationwide, offering the advantage of W-2 employment status along with full health insurance coverage and a 401k retirement option. Advanced is a true advocate for your career success. To learn more about advanced school staffing and discover the ways they can help you succeed in your school psychology career, visit advancedschoolstaffing.com forward slash school site exclamation mark. Thank you. And now I'm going to hand it off to Eric, who's going to introduce himself and our wonderful guest. All right. Thank you, Rebecca. Um, my name is Eric and I am a school psychologist also in Connecticut. And we are excited to have Shira Levy with us this evening to talk about positive psychology. And I'll just give a brief intro to Shira and talk about what uh, she does. She is a nationally uh, certified school psychologist and holds the MAPP, Masters of Applied Positive Psychology, is a registered psychological associate and children's book author and positive psychology practitioner. She holds a Bachelor's of Arts from Haverford College and a Master's of Psychology from Towson State, uh, Towson University, and a Master's of Applied Positive Psychology from University of Pennsylvania. She brings positive psychology, positive education, and strength-based approaches to her clients, students, and families, helping to create a flourishing communities. As a mother of two, Shira is particularly passionate about strength-based parenting. She's the founder of Baltimore Thrives, LLC, and a co-author of Stan and the Four Fantastic Powers, first ever appreciative inquiry book for kids, a book that emphasizes intergenerational conversations to help children dream and design the future, creating a sense of ownership, hope, and pride. Over the past two years, she has trained over a thousand educators in positive education, the intertwining of well-being and academics to create thriving schools and communities. Shira lives in Maryland with her husband and two young children. So welcome, Shira. And thank you. Um, 
as we were talking just before we started, um, I think a great question that came up was, um, how do we separate that sort of toxic positivity? What's the difference between um, creating good, thriving, uh, strengths-based approaches and moving away from that um, just be happy sort of thing that we sort of stereotype, I guess. So right. uh, maybe that can start us off. Right, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. Uh, this is really exciting. And thank you for bringing that up first because that's one of the first things I like to talk about when talking about positive psychology. Um, oftentimes, you know, people have this misperception that positive psychology is all about being positive. Um, it's all about that strive. How do I get more positive emotion? How do I become happier? Um, and really what we know is that when we search for happiness like that, we really doesn't end up well. Um, and especially in such a challenging time like right now, uh, it's hard to be positive and we don't want to feel set us up, set ourselves up for failure in the end. Um, so the, I love positive psychology because it's really about how we live a full and fulfilling life, um, how we live a life of meaning and purpose. Happiness is kind of just a benefit on the side that we get from that but it's not something that we're aiming for. So as a positive psychology practitioner, as someone that trains people in positive psychology, uh, I run, I co-lead a positive psychology PLC in our county, in our district. Um, and oftentimes there is kind of pressure being someone that practices positive psychology to feel and appear to be happy all the time, um, have a smile on your face, be upbeat, have something positive to say. Uh, but that is kind of one of the pitfalls of positive psychology is that phrase positive at the beginning. Um, we're not, you know, again, happiness is kind of an outcome, but the real benefits come in these different interventions and practices that we use that are within the field of positive psychology to just help us get more meaning, purpose, build relationships, um, meet our goals, energize ourselves, be healthy. Um, so that I would say the difference is kind of not focusing on happiness as an endpoint and being happy, more of that like happiness advantage um, kind of goal, but in the whole thought of living a fulfilling and meaningful life. I love that. I love positive psychology. I'm just a big fan and I try to um, go to as many conferences and things as I can. But I wonder, um, as we're as we're talking about it, and as you explain that so beautifully, how do you see the applications of positive psychology of in schools in for school psychology? How would you see if we could if we could sort of transform our systems and practices into positive psychology practices for children in schools? What do you mm -hmm. think would be some major differences? I was actually thinking about this. Eric sent me a little bit of an, you know, outline before and was kind of wondering how I got into positive psychology. And I was thinking back to my first placement. I was one school psychologist in a school of about 2,700 kids. Luckily that that school now has multiple providers there. Um, but I found that kind of my traditional school psych training that I got, which was wonderful, uh, was just, I was trying these CBT skills and these brief solution focus, you know, counseling skills. And I just wasn't making the progress that I wanted. Um, in certain cases I was, but in other cases I really wasn't. Um, so what I found was the most effect, the biggest effect that I could get was really working with groups of students and co-creating with them, kind of using that appreciative inquiry mindset of working alongside all of the providers to help create these programs 
that emphasize them mattering and them kind of being a part of this community, helping have a purpose. Um, and that is what eventually led me to positive psychology. So without studying positive psychology, I think there are so many of us out there that are already using it without even knowing it. Um, and I really, and that led me there and that continues to be a mainstay of my practice as a school psychologist is really working with kids to help them identify their strengths and then help them to see why they matter and why they, you know, how they can help build the school community together um, to ch really change the world, which is kind of a big goal, but that's what we're striving for. That's beautiful. <laughs> I love it. Um, and I love that connection with, you know, helping kids find meaning and purpose and for us as school psychologists to find that same meaning and purpose in our work. And it strikes me as um, I mentioned this offline as well. Um, so um, compatible with ACT, which is a, you know, acceptance commitment therapy with, with its focus on psychological flexibility, but um, also values and helping kids. I love asking kids about what do they care about? What's important to them? And trying to, you know, help them articulate what's meaningful to them and then, and then use that to build goals or counseling objectives and things like that. Yeah, definitely. It's kind of not one of those things we're explicitly trained to involve the student in the work that we're doing um, about them. So my co-author um, of the book, Marge Schiller, is an appreciative inquiry expert, and she has a quote that I love, uh, don't do anything about me without me. And that's basically, you know, we're doing all this work for kids to help them get better, but we don't often ask them what they want or how they can contribute. Um, and that's something that should definitely be a focus of what we're doing. So you're going to get the advanced, you know, uh, positive psych questions from Eric and Rebecca, who know more. I myself don't know a whole lot, so pardon my my positive psych 101 uh, questions here. But you mentioned appreciative inquiry. What is that? Appreciative inquiry is kind of a problem solving process. Um, it's, I guess it's the reverse of problem solving process, but it's really about designing and dreaming up the future. Um, looking at your strengths, the strengths of your team, the people around you, and dreaming and designing up what you want your future to look like. So it's not so much based on a problem, but really just about creating change, but also using the people around you, their strengths, having these intergenerational conversations to help get there. So exactly kind of what we're describing, you know, in a counseling process, working with the students, working with their parents, working with their teachers, to help design kind of what they're looking for, not putting our own goals and intentions in someone else. Right, so the process of appreciative inquiry is similar kind of to the, well, it is aligned with the philosophy of positive psychology is that you're not looking to um, start with the problem and then solve for neutral or average or okay, but you're looking to find people wherever they are and take them to plus one or plus two. Um, exactly. How, how, so tell us a little bit about your book and how did you use that model of appreciative inquiry um, to describe what you were talking about in the book? Um, so the book is actually written with um, two 12 year olds at the time um, and their grandmother, who's the appreciative inquiry expert. 
And we just wanted to kind of translate the process of appreciative inquiry to, to kids using um, kid-friendly language. Uh, the basis of the book is, uh, it was written a couple years ago, uh, Stan's the main character and um, he's kind of this shy boy that, you know, doesn't think he's capable of very much, really doesn't understand his strengths, um, is asked to help rebuild the school's playgrounds and his grandmother who he lives with um, and the school principal kind of identify him to work with the teacher as a leader to help rebuild this playground. So in the process, he has to identify his strengths and then uh, identify his classroom strengths, all the students in the classroom and community members also. So it's everybody gets involved to re rebuild this fantastic playground. It's a great way just to have conversations with kids about the process and about strengths identification um, their team identification, who's who's around them and what do their strengths have. So really that strength spotting, if you um, are familiar with strength spotting and the VIA character strengths, looks a lot at, at that process. Totally, I love that. That sounds so cute. I need to get <laughs> um, I like, I, I, we've, we've mentioned the VIA survey on here a couple of times, but I'm not sure if our viewers tonight are familiar with it. Will you tell us a little bit about the VIA survey and do you use that in your work as well? Sure, yeah, the VIA survey. Um, so character strengths is kind of the bedrock foundation of positive psychology. That's kind of how everything started around 2000 um, with Martin Seligman and kind of, uh, the field was looking for a way to identify what is right with us as opposed to what is wrong with us. So we have, you know, the field of psychology has this, the DSM, which looks at all the different, you know, disabilities and uh, diagnoses, what's wrong with us. They wanted to look at what's right with us. So uh, they came up with across all, everybody, there's 24 character strengths that all of us have. Um, and we have them in different rank orders. And a lot of these are passed down from us, from our parents and kind of consistent over time. And research tells us that when we use our top strengths, those signature strengths that just feel naturally like us, we can really become happier. We live more, more fulfilling life um, and more productive, creative, better grades. So a lot of character, this character strengths and there's this free uh, via character assessment online that you can give to children and adults uh, that can help identify those signature strengths. And that's really the basis for positive education too, is really helping educators and parents um, understand what are these strengths and how we can use them and help kids identify them so that they can live a better, more fulfilling life in school, come out better academically. Um, and the, the data is pretty impressive for that. That's something else where I think, you know, school psych program could really benefit from teaching new school psychologists kind of about that research as well. I love the VIA survey and I agree with you. And I think that um, when I have used it, I've used it once in a class where I developed a class page and then I was able to, you know, getting consent from um, all the parents was able to then um, tell the class about our strengths as a community, as a classroom community, and of course they're individual. Um, and as you were talking, I was thinking about right now in this incredibly stressful time um, of the pandemic, what would be some strengths that I would wanna try to focus on for kids or, or for adult, for school psychologists as well? Um, what do you think about that? Just do a couple of strengths come to mind that we could all use to kind of practice and 
immerse ourselves in? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the one strength that comes to mind for me, although it's not surprising because it's one of my top strengths, so it would easily come to me, um, is that of gratitude. Um, so I think there are definitely some positive psychology practices that can kind of create that emotion. Um, it's hard to find things right now that we're grateful for um, in this, this crisis. It's really difficult. Um, but there are things that we can do to help kind of increase or implement these little micro practices to help boost that, that feeling of what, what is going well. It's easy to see what is not going well, um, but it's harder to see what is going well. So just kind of doing those little micro practices of mindfulness throughout the day um, of what, you know, savoring a drink of water, hydrating yourself, <laughs> um, just small things that kind of build that. And the other would be, I think the other character strength that comes to mind is that social intelligence piece of really focusing on how can I really create these high quality connections to people around me, whether it be fellow school psychologists and practitioners or relatives um, or and even students, because I think that doing this virtual work, which many of us are doing, it's harder to have those really high quality connections with people over the computer. So really being intentional about how we're doing that and the distractions around us is really important. We're getting some uh, really good comments and uh, even and questions over on the YouTube page. Great. So um, one in particular, um, Rachel, I don't know if you can highlight uh, GVs. Um, I may be jumping the gun right now, but how is this practice uh, adapting to the current COVID crisis and the challenges that it's imposing on first distant learners and second their families? Um, what, do, what are your thoughts about how we can apply positive psychology to the current situation, which has created stress for all of us. Yeah, guess, right? it's, and that, that's kind of like kind of what we were talking about at the beginning of our talk today is it's hard because when we hear the phrase positive psychology, we think how can anyone be positive about really anything that's going on right now? But if we take that positive piece out um, and kind of focus on what does it take to be well, um, one of the theories of well-being is the PERMA theory, which focuses on getting positive emotion, engagement, relationships, meaning in your life, achieving your goals. And there's a little side note of health and vitality in there. I think if we kind of strive more so towards, I think, some of the acceptance of those negative emotions using mindfulness, naming how we're feeling, um, that kind of like name it to tame it methodology it's okay to feel negative emotions too we need negative emotions to thrive and it's natural to to use those negative to have negative emotions at a time like this um, but also focusing on those different aspects of well-being and how we can boost our meaning for example um, what we can do to create a better community um, to advocate for those around us and kind of boost our purpose there I also think the self-compassion research, which is kind of a branch of positive psychology, has a ton to offer right now. Um, I've, I've kind of been straying away from the term self-care at this point. Um, we know that self-care practices are very privileged for that matter. Um, but I do think that you know the concept of 
mattering and, and how we can create that change in the world we want to see around us can be a, a driving force in how positive psychology can help us. Yeah, for sure. And I think that in some ways, this current crisis has sort of shaken loose or held on to like a colander, <laughs> you know, basic things that are really important and some that we can let go of. And, and while, of course, it's important that um, kids are uh, learning and have access to high quality academic um, instruction um, in a crisis. I think, like you said, that that sense of um, belonging and meaning and um, understanding that it's okay to feel sad and scared and and that they're not in any of those difficult feelings alone. I think those kind of take priority. And that is maybe one way um, that I'd say to GV that that's kind of how I might adapt the positive psychology practices right now, because um, as Shira said, it's not about reframing everything to something positive because there's there's some things that you don't reframe to positive they, they just are what they are but maybe you can reframe them in a, in a in a hierarchy of what's important or what's what takes priority in this moment right and i don't know about um you guys but for me i work in a high school currently and it's really hard to tell you know to tell teenagers okay let's see what we can do to get your mood better because it's impossible there. A lot of them are home alone, not socializing with their friends, not being able to go to school. Um, so not only does mindfulness kind of help refocus the mind into the present moment, kind of just focusing on what's coming in through your five senses, not judging, taking your emotions as they are, labeling them, but also this the self-compassion of just knowing that whatever you do today is good enough. Um, and just remembering this is out of Chris and Neff's work, but how would your friend talk to you in this moment? You know, we kind of come up with these negative self-talk moments throughout the day and, and that can really be helpful too, just kind of thinking what my friends say to me or even as a school psychologist, I think I'm often feeling like I'm not doing enough or I should be doing more, I could be doing more. And we're hard on, we're hard on ourselves like that. So just knowing that we are doing the best that we can given given this time. I sometimes um I, I'm I tend to be I tend to go to the negative more quickly than Eric and Rebecca do. And so um I use them sometimes to kind of help me out. Like I'll I'll complain about something and then they're so good about kind of reframing it and like understanding and then just, you know, making me see kind of, um, like I said, it, it doesn't always have to be kind of turned into a positive, but making me see kind of the bigger picture. And so I kind of use them um, to give me some positive talk when my own self doesn't do that. <laughs> so thank you guys. Yeah, and that's, oh my, that's so important right now. Um, just again, that emphasis on the R in the PERMA just is relationships. So who you have around you, whether you're a student, a school psychologist, a parent, just having that support network right now, regardless of the content of the conversation, just having those meaningful conversations where you know someone's listening to you, where you know you can be honest with them, um, that we just have those networks around us. 
Yeah, um, it makes me think we were just, um, my colleague and I um, at school were giving a talk to parents about how parents can best support kids. Um, we're all in person in Connecticut and in my school. But what we're noticing is that, you know, that is really great. Kids need each other and they need their teachers and it's, it's really great. But um, it's also exhausting just given um, the new routines and the cohorting and the distance and the masks and all these things. And by the end of the day, we're finding that kids go home really tired and parents were sharing with us that they also come home and they could have had six hours of a beautiful, wonderful day with their friends and engaged and having fun. But the 15 minutes that was frustrating or upsetting or um, difficult, that those are the 15 minutes that they want to talk about. Um, and it just, we, we were saying to parents that one of the best things we can do as parents is, is just really listen and not try to jump in and fix it. You know, we have that writing refret, right? reflex as school psychologists, but also as parents trying to like, oh my gosh, was that terrible? Let me send an email and let me let me figure out what I can do. But if we can sort of curb that, I think that's one way to give a little autonomy back to our kids to say, okay, well, I'm hearing what you're saying and like validate their feeling. And that sounds really frustrating. And what what would be helpful to you right now? Do you want me to listen or do you, do you want me to partner with you in some problem solving? Like give them the chance to say like, no mom, just listen, you know, I don't need a solution. What would you recommend for parents in terms of positive psychology practices that they could support their kids with? Definitely encouraging them to have self-compassion. So that requires that requires parents to model self-compassion and modeling parents kind of having a hard day themselves and having self-compassion towards themselves. Uh, a lot of times as parents, we, you know, we strive for perfection and we have to, you know, we have to hold up and we have to keep our face in front of our kids and um, having them see you experience a range of emotions and seeing you cope with it well is really important. I also love what you're talking about too. Um, I'm a big fan of the parenting book, The Self-Driven Child. Um, and I, I, I always encourage my parents that I work with to read that and my friends that are parents. Um, but it is all about kind of being your child's consultant, not solving your child's problems, which really then just encourages their, their independence, their confidence, um, and their own kind of bravery to tackle the goals that lie ahead of them, which is a challenge especially with some of the kids that we work with who might you know, have ADHD or executive functioning difficulties. Um, it definitely is a challenge as a parent to sit back and kind of watch your child struggle. But I think if your child sees you struggle at times and then you are compassionate towards yourself and allow yourself to be honest, open and authentic with them um, and how you're working through things, the better off that they'll be. That's great. We had a couple of uh, comments about strength spotting and uh, someone who mentioned that they're uh, just doing virtual teaching. And my first thought was, you know, as Rebecca mentioned, we're both in person. Connecticut is, is 100 um, percent in person, uh, some hybrid models. But um, we allow parents to we offer parents um, virtual learning. But as the public schools and even private schools, we're open. Um, and so my first thought was, I can't imagine trying to juggle all the things that teachers are juggling with virtual 
learning, you know, all the, the pieces that they're learning and trying to strength spot. So, um, but uh, one of the other listeners commented, you know, you can do that virtually too. And I think that's a great point to remember. Um, you know, it, it's hard for us sometimes in person to do that anyway. <laughs> so, um, but I think virtually as well. And during this time where we're all a little more um, pressured or stressed that we, we really need to focus on that um, finding strengths and, uh, and uh, uh, you know, uh, addressing children's character strengths and um, being mindful of that as well. Right. And I think that, um, and I'm not sure who made that comment, maybe it was Mary, who is an, yeah. a teacher that works with me. <laughs> we do a lot of the positive education training, but um, it's so hard when things are not going well to pick out what is going well. It's just a trick that our minds play on us. Um, but when you are kind of trained with this positive psychology mindset and you kind of give yourself these reminders and these cues to switch your focus. So when we do positive education trainings, we'll give teachers or we'll give our you know participants a pair of glasses, like crazy sunglasses or something, just to have as a physical cue or reminder to also remember to pick out the positives and to pick out people's strengths and just to look for the strengths. I love it's that. Hard it's hard to have a like a language of strengths. The VIA really helps you kind of create a language. So I love Lee Waters is an, an expert in the field of strengths and strengths with, for kids. Um, and she has a really comprehensive list of not only the 24 VIA character strengths, but many different other kinds of strengths just to have that language of strength. Because sometimes, you know, we're not explicitly trained with that either. So just kind of looking at that as some reminders and giving out to teachers just so that we know what we should be looking for. That's great. And, you know, I think just as a, a little connection to those of us that are school psychs who are listening or, or anyone who assesses children, so I guess all educators, um, you know, we're taught to look for deficits, right? That's why we're assessing. Um, but sometimes we don't always um, focus on the strengths. You know, as you mentioned, uh, Shira, that, you know, we look at things through the DSM model and, and um, that's a, a medical and deficit focused model. Um, but, you know, all, all the more when we can talk about, okay, there's a problem here, we've identified it, but look at what the child can do and look at how we can use those strengths to support them and, um, you know, better meet their educational needs. But sometimes right. that gets lost, right? Yeah, and that's actually, I think once you learn about the strengths um, and you're doing an assessment report with a child, you almost feel badly not doing a strengths assessment because you realize that these reports that we're often writing are so deficit focused. Um, but if you really wanna see a parent have a smile on their face and the student really have a smile on their face despite these deficits, uh, try out a, a character strengths assessment with them and put it in your report. Such a good idea. And today I saw on Facebook, it was, I think, We Are Teachers uh, Facebook page. It was this adorable um, uh, photograph because the top half was a second graders or a third graders self-assessment of their writing. And um, in child's handwriting, it said, I love writing. When I grow up, I want to be a writer. And it just was this beautiful, positive, strengths-based, self uh, perception and then under it was the report card comments 
And it basically said this child has minimal skills in writing. And um, the person who shared the photo of both things is an author, is a successful author now. And so how important it is to um, not only be strengths finders for kids, but to have them identify what lights them up, what makes them feel uh, strong and what makes them curious and interested. And, you know, because the skills part is going to come and, it, you know, nobody has it down perfectly ever, maybe. But um, I think that's just so important um, to remind ourselves that these kids that may be struggling with whatever right now in this grade, their future is unlimited and their, their, their growth. Um, I wanted to ask you too about well, a couple of things, but I wanted to ask you about the MAP program program because you mentioned um, uh, Leah Waters and she's a mapster as well, right? Uh, is she? Um, I don't believe she. They have a MAP program, so she's in Australia. She's a, a professor in Australia. Okay. Um, I don't know if she has her MAP, but she might have a MAP. From Australia, um, but she does a lot of work with the Penn program. Okay, maybe uh, she wrote. Yeah, she wrote the book The Strength Switch, um, and has kind of just become a leader in positive psychology and use with parenting. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, maybe that's how I know her because I try yeah. everything online that is MAP, um, including yeah. the YouTube channel. But could you tell us a little bit about the program and how you got involved and what you thought of it? Sure. Um, and before I do that, can I comment on your previous comment? <laughs> Not to throw everything off, but um, you had mentioned that sometimes kids' strengths can be different from the strengths that people observe of them. And so just kind of before we close out the character strengths topic, um, something that's really cool that you can do with a via character strengths assessment is do something called a 360 assessment, which is where you have the child create do a strength survey, but then you also survey the adults around them or even their friends. So if you had a group of kids, you could have them say what you think the, the students' top strengths are. Um, a lot of the kids that we work with or that come across my desk by the time they go through special education all the way through high school have a really hard time identifying their strengths and saying what they're good at, unfortunately. Um, but their friends and the adults around them might have a different opinion. So. Um, it's kind of cool to kind of ask parents or their peers to say, you know, what are your top strengths? What do you think this person's top strengths are? So just a little cool tidbit. Um, in terms of the... Can I jump in too? Um, I, I love, and we had some comments too about, you know, that strengths perspective being important for evaluation reports. And it just makes me think I was reading um, with my kids, they're into Dave Pilkey books now, Dogman and Captain Underpants and all that. And, and in reading these books with them and listening to them read, it, it seemed, you know, Dave Pilkey's kind of perception of what education was like for himself. It made me think of Rebecca when you said that that author that had those negative comments. Um, he doesn't seem to have a real uh, positive outlook towards the school, or at least he pokes fun of a lot of um, this, you know, the teachers are all mean and Captain Underpants. And um, I think in the forward of his books, it talks about, you know, he was labeled as being ADHD and just kind of shoved away and not. And so that to me is, I mean, that's like my biggest fear of like that. I want to be totally the opposite of that, you know, and it's so 
easy to get sucked into writing these negative deficit-based reports because, you know, we oh, all these scores are low, so these scores are low, so, you know, they're below average. And um, so I think that that's a, that was just a really good reminder to me um, with the strength stuff because I don't want to be that school psychologist that, that puts a kid down ever and that that stays with them. And then, yeah, they grow up and begin this amazing author. And then I see, see this in writing that, ah, um, you know, so this just popped into my yeah, there. Yeah, so true. Um, so thanks for letting me take that little detour back to <laughs> the character strengths. Um, the MAP program is um, a program through the University of Pennsylvania. MAP stands for Masters of Applied Positive Psychology. Um, it is a pretty small program and it basically invites people from all different occupations to come and learn how to apply positive psychology practice and positive interventions to your work in whatever field that you're in. So. Um, people in my cohort were um, actors, singers, uh, lawyers, doctors, what else? I think I was the only psychology-related field, um, human resources, communications people, pediatricians, just writers. Um, it was really neat to see the variety of professions and backgrounds that people brought in, um, a couple teachers, and uh, it was it was definitely a life changing experience. It was a it's an accelerated master's program that lasts for a year. Um, and since I've gone, they've actually come out with some different other types of cert positive psychology certifications too. Um, there is a, cer a certificate in applied positive psychology, a CAP. Uh, I think University of Pennsylvania offers like an online positive psychology program and positive educator training. So there are a lot of different kind of training approaches that have come out uh, since I went there that I've heard really great things about. Thanks for that. I'm, I'm like, I'm such a, every time I see that those initials, um, I'm just mostly jealous because it sounds amazing. I know um, Dr. Seligman teaches um, some of the courses and it just sounds really Awesome. <laughs> yeah, and the, yeah, definitely. Um, There's so many avenues now to get similar knowledge. Um, I know that Laurie Santos has a free happiness course that she teaches at Yale. There's just been so much, such a boom in the field. Um, so if you know, it can anyone can really access the the knowledge, and then in your own districts, we have a, in our district, we have a positive psychology PLC where we just kind of just get together and continuously learn new things, new research, new strategies, and really just serve as a support for one another. So if there are people on this call who are listening and really want more information on what is positive psychology and how do I apply it to my practice, definitely consider, um, you know, getting a group of people around you who are similar minded to, um, to go for it and continue your learning. That's awesome. Um, and we're seeing some other folks chiming in, Mary, that she's in the program. And um, I know Rebecca has attended workshops uh, through UPenn's positive psychology program. And we've had uh, Terry Maloney on um, as well, another um, graduate, I think, or at least has done some positive psychology work and coursework. Um, it's fantastic. And I think, you know, many of us, my district is certainly putting in a tremendous amount of effort to develop um, 
social and emotional learning and doing a lot of work through Castle and looking at foundations of character development and positive character traits. And I think um, the more we can do that's practical uh, on this level for teachers and for school psychs and counselors and social workers, um, you know, the more benefit uh, we we have. Oh, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> you know, um, so, um, you know, you had mentioned in one of your emails um, that, uh, you know, some of the M's that you you look for. And I, I love acronyms and, and uh, little mnemonic devices. Can you tell us about some of the M's? Sure. And I'm, you know, I'm just kind of when I was, I knew I was doing this and I was asked kind of what, what positive psychology practices are you using right now? It's definitely been a different world um, since the pandemic hit. Um, and I've definitely adapted my practice for the pandemic, for the, for the state of our, our world that we're living in to really focus a lot on micro practices of mindfulness that I talked a little bit about. Um, so just taking a moment and kind of even when I'm washing my hands, just doing a little bit of a loving kindness meditation or a little bit of mindfulness, really just absorbing that 20 plus seconds of hand washing. I love <laughs> um, that. To take I, a I, break during my day. <laughs> so the um, app 10% happier at the beginning of COVID in our country um, came up with a little loving kindness hand washing meditation that I put by the kitchen sink. Um, and encouraging kind of coworkers and family members to do the same thing. It's hard to take a break. I know those of us that are doing virtual work and those of us in the real world, it's just hard as a school psychologist to, to take a break. Um, we're often working through lunches, working overtime, and really just having a couple of minutes or a couple of seconds to be mindful, whether it's focusing on how something you're eating tastes, focusing on how something you're drinking like feels, um, and even just feeling like the cold water on your hands and the soap or the scent of the soap that you're using, just really those small moments of mindfulness definitely uh, make a difference. And meaning is a big one. Um, I think now more than ever, it's so important for us to find meaning um, in our community and how we're advocating, how we're becoming more anti-racist, um, you know, how we're improving the state of our country, that that's a really big one. Um, for me as well. I love the hand washing thing just because I'm just constantly, constantly washing my hands. So I'm gonna do that. <laughs> yeah, look at, I, I'll put, I can post a link or send you something after this about the, the little 10% uh, happier hand washing, loving kindness. <laughs> That's awesome. And I I'm, love that you mentioned, you know, social justice and equity, right? You know, that's so, um, such a, uh, it's just brought to the forefront now, even though it's, it's, the issues have been there. Uh, I think they're just so magnified by the events, um, in particular this past year. And, um, they've certainly always faced, you know, minoritized people and, um, people of color, perhaps maybe mainstream wise, we're starting to think about it more, um, and certainly faced with, um, the ethical issues of needing to deal with it. Right. So, um, uh, in every aspect and maybe, maybe intersecting it and, and interweaving it in, in the aspects of our practice. And I think positive psychology can do a lot um, for us in terms of connecting with people and helping people with this. Um, I love the, the character spotting, character trait spotting too. 
Um, yeah. And I, I also think that, you know, as a field of psychology and a field of positive psychology, we still have a long way to go in terms of making sure that the work that we're putting out has an anti-racist mindset behind it. And kind of we are realizing, you know, that the work, the, the interventions that we're suggesting to people may not may not feel good for people. Um, this is not a one size fits all, fits all model. Um, and, you know, a lot of the suggestions or interventions we might put out there are privileged. I think I mentioned that a little bit earlier, but, you know, people of color cannot go for a run with the same level of comfort that white people can. Um, so we really have to be mindful. We have to be mindful of that and kind of moving our profession forward when we're thinking about and doing research um, on creating more positive interventions. Thank you. That, that's great. Um, one of our viewers was asking about the difference between um, working with young children and adolescents. And I know that um, some people use kind of superhero char characters for the character strengths um, to teach character strengths to young people. What would you say are some differences or some important differences, differences between young kids and older kids yeah we're working in positive psych with with like elementary versus high school that's a good question i was talking to my friend mary who's in the map program now we were just talking about how um some people from the map program are thinking it's better to start positive interventions with teenagers or older students but i definitely think modifications can be made for younger kids um i think it's some of the language can be modified um, I don't know for those of you that are out there that have taken the VIA character strength, it starts at age eight and it's a self-report measure. So I think it's still even possible to teach kids younger than age eight what strengths are and the language of strengths, but we might have to modify the language a little bit. Um, and I think journaling and writing is such a popular form of intervention in general. And that's again, you know, difficult or challenging for younger kids who can't write yet um, or kids with writing disabilities. So it's important to use other mediums. So drawing, what are pictures of strengths, um, collecting objects. So um, I think Terry Mullaney mentioned this on her podcast with you guys, but something that I do is help kids create a positive portfolio where they focus on a strength they want more of. And so for younger kids, instead of writing about it, um, I have them bring in different artifacts from their, from their life that reminds them and provokes a certain emotion that they want more of. Um, which is neat too. I think it just, you have to kind of modify the language, the vocabulary, but I've been in workshops with teachers where we talk about the via character strengths and um, even teachers and of preschool kids say it's definitely possible to teach kids these vocabulary words and the language as is. Mary says she agrees and it's never too early to train our brains to look for what's going well. That's so true. That's great point. Yeah, yeah definitely. And, you know, I'm seeing my kids through virtual learning doing, um, you know, when, when the teachers are trying to get to know the kids and create kind of this community that unfortunately is a little bit different than kind of an in-person type of thing. Um, they're doing kind of like a show and share type, making little bags and things. So I'm just picturing, I mean, I, just the joy of the, my kids, I'm seeing them show their whole class, you know, objects related to themselves. I'm thinking that, you know, that type of activity, like what you're talking about with the, the portfolio um, would, would be able to be adapted pretty well virtually to let the kids kind of show 
you know, what they have around them in their house. So it's fun. Yeah. And I think, you know, just thinking back to gratitude and kind of how we can kind of be grateful, even, you know, things are maybe terrible, you know, the worst that we've seen in a long time. Um, but the, this kind of experience does somehow allow us to kind of slow down a little bit in our teaching and in our work with kids to really bring in more of those personal traits about themselves to help them, you know, what do they love at home? What do they find comforting at home? Um, who are the people around them that they're comforted by? Just those types of things um, that we don't typically get to because we're rushing through curriculum. You know, we're, we're just rushing through our assessments. Um, but now that we have to slow down for our PPE precautions and <laughs> all these different things, um, we might have just a couple more minutes just to think about how we want to modify things to help create more of a strength-based lens and really um, make things more personal, personalized. How would you say that your study of positive psychology and your own application of it in your life has helped you be a better school psychologist, helped you thrive and not just survive? That's a good question. <laughs> and again, I'm not gonna fake it at this point. Um, it's survival mode. <laughs> I don't know if it's thriving mode, um, but that's the thing about positive psychology is it's not all going up. Um, it's not, Barbara Fredrickson is someone that's big in the field of positive emotion and the positive psychology field. And she talks about this upward spiral, upward spiral of positivity. So when you experience positive emotions, you get this burst of energy, you're more productive, you're more creative. Um, and it's hard now. It's, um, you know, it's more of like an up and down kind of constant roller coaster throughout the day. But I do think that positive psychology kind of allows me and gives me the tools when I do hit a low during the day or during the week um, to kind of lift myself up and get myself what I need. And maybe that's just telling myself I'm doing good enough from that self-perspective, you know, self-compassion perspective. Um, to kind of normalize myself and balance myself somewhat, but also just that, you know, the reminder that things can get better, that we do have control over some aspects of our lives, like the relationships and the people that we have around us, um, and kind of our, our own meaning and purpose that we, we have control over, that we can kind of implement more things in our practice now, I think, as a school psychologist to help me thrive, even though some days can be really stressful and, um, feel you can feel depleted or like you didn't accomplish what you wanted to um i can still feel like um i can add in and i can add more to my practice that kind of gives me a spark um which our supervisor in our district that we works at you know talks about kind of finding your spark and using your spark and really just making sure that you have that sense of meaning in your practice even during a pandemic That's a great point. You know, I think we're all, you know, with the pandemic and the busyness of our jobs, I think educators are probably facing so many more stressors than than they've faced before, than we faced before. And, and certainly some of this is a recipe for burnout and early retirement, you know, even when you didn't want to kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and and so really taking note of, of those things that build our strengths, that build resilience um, that we can control. And that self-care and self-compassion is just so crucial. And we need reminders. I think I needed this tonight just to, you know, the reminder of this stuff um, and to, 
hear someone who's you know really implementing positive psychology in their practice um, is just a, a booster shot for me. So this is great. Yeah, and that's that's something that we talk about in our positive psychology trainings is just make sure that you find your your tribe or your hive. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of the hive hypothesis. Um, that's also kind of out of the field of positive psychology, Jonathan Haidt. Um, talks about this hive hypothesis that who we surround ourselves with really makes a difference on our outcomes and our well-being outcomes specifically. So after after this call and you listen to this, make sure you go out and you know find your hive of people that you can kind of rely on to bring you up during those lows, um, even if it's just listening and validating. That's awesome. I love that. Um, so anybody watching, um, kind of last call for comments and questions. I know that I'm sure that Eric and Rebecca have lots of, <laughs> lots of questions they're withholding because <laughs> they could talk about this all day long, I promise. <laughs> but um, any last comments and questions, but this has been a great discussion. And Eric, I like what you said about uh, the booster shot. I, I kind of like that, especially maybe in the midst of the pandemic, maybe I've just got shots and vaccines on my mind. So that <laughs> resonated with me even more than usual. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to rethink giving out glasses and maybe <laughs> giving out something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, a viewer mentioned as an administrator, staff wellness is a, a constant worry on their mind. And I think that what you just described in terms of, of your wellness and, and just kind of being compassionate and giving yourself time, whether it be in a, a small practice of a meditation, um, I think that um, that was uh, my recommendation, along with my colleagues on the wellness team at, at my school, um, in terms of overall wellness of our building, is just to, to make adult care, self-care, institutional care, any kind of care <laughs> that we could get to the adults uh, a priority. So I hope that we'll all do that for themselves because, um, you know, we have to put on our own oxygen masks first. Definitely even if it's as small as kind of being on a meeting with people and pausing the meeting so that everyone can get a drink of water, <laughs> you know, something, just get a snack for yourself and then come back and sit down and just take care of yourself. Sure. All right. I'm not seeing any uh, additional questions. Um, I know that we've got some upcoming podcasts and I know uh, Rebecca, do you want to talk about what's going on tomorrow? Yes, we can um, almost continue this wonderful <laughs> conversation tomorrow with our uh, guest. That we have a, a special Monday night Facebook Live episode with Renee Jane, uh, the founder of Gozen and the author of a new children's book called Superpowered on Resilience. And it's number three in children's books on the New York Times bestseller list. So we're so excited to have her. I've been a fan of her work for a long time. We're excited to talk to her about positive psychology, Go Zen, which is anxiety relief for children, and her work um, on that platform, and her, the way she applies her map skills and knowledge to helping kids thrive. That'll be tomorrow at, at a different time um, at, oh my gosh, Eric, I always forget. <laughs> 4.45. 4.45. <laughs> yeah. On Facebook Live, right? So yeah. yeah. Facebook Live. Yeah. Yep. 
Um, and then 1018, I know we're um, talking about somebody as far as um, college and kind of the transition, I guess, in from from our high school special education students into kind of the realm of college and, and what that looks like for them and how we can help to prepare. So I think that'll be a good one as well. But um, Shira, thank you so much for agreeing to come on and talk with us. I think that um, I learned a lot for sure and um, it was fun. So, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, great. Thank you so much for the inspiration and the little booster to get us through the week. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Anytime. <laughs> and uh, just before we end, um, we need to just give a quick shout out to our sponsor and thank them for supporting us. And um, if you are an educator and a school psychologist in particular who's looking for employment, um, advanced school staffing is, is a place to, to look. So, um, just want to give a little thank you to Advanced School Staffing for their continued support of school psychologists nationwide. As the leader in school staffing nationwide, the genuine care and guidance they demonstrate with school psychologists is the mark of a true partner in career success. To learn more about Advanced School Staffing and discover the ways that they can help you succeed in your school psychology career, visit advancedschoolstaffing.com forward slash school psyched exclamation point. So thank you, everyone. Thank you for all our listeners who chimed in with great thoughts and comments and questions and, and um, really meaningful points, too. So and thank you, Shira. This was fantastic. Yeah, thank you for creating this little hive that you have, this, follow, this large hive that you have <laughs> uh, to improve our profession. Such a great thing. Bye, everybody. Thanks.